Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. In this episode of Boss Files... I think 16 weeks from now, uh, we should be in space, uh, and maybe six months from now, I should be in space. Sir Richard Branson... Knighted by the Queen, the daredevil entrepreneur opens up about his mission to space, how Nelson Mandela changed him, his lunch with President Trump before he was president, and the 10 days he spent with the Obamas post-White House on his private island. I mean, I've spent time with Barack um, out um, he know, beat a, you, a kite, fun, kite yeah, sailing? Kite surfing competition together, uh, which he won. And... Um, uh, and we had, we, you know, we had some some dinners and, and, and lunches together. It's all in his new book, Finding My Virginity. A cheeky title, of course. Did he find that? Not exactly, but he found so much else. It's a fascinating read on his 50 years in business and what is to come. Here's my conversation with Sir Richard Branson. Sir Richard Branson, thank you for being here. It's always lovely to talk to you. We sit this time together discussing your life a lot because of a brand new book, Finding My Virginity, a cheeky title, as my co-anchor John Berman says. Um, <laughs> look, you wrote this. This was no ghostwriter. This is you telling your story, sort of the second half of a virgin, if you will. You write, you can only lose your virginity once, but in, in every aspect of my life, I try to do things for the first time every day. What do you mean? Uh... I'm, I, I find it impossible to say no to something. So, um, you know, people come with new challenges on a daily basis. I see, um, you know, gaps in the market where I, where I feel that, we, you know, we could do it better and we leap in and do it, you know, and, and try. And um, so every day is like a new day. And, and um, we've had so many exciting adventures, um, you know, personal adventures, um, business adventures, philanthropic adventures. So I thought I would try to, um, you know, put it into hopefully a, a reasonably gripping book, and which we could share. And it is, and you do. And I read you know every page of it, and we'll get into all of that. The elders, your experience with the incredible Nelson Mandela, working with President Jimmy Carter, your flight on uh, your fight on on climate change. Um, how do you define yourself today? Because when I say to someone, oh, I'm having Richard Branson on the show or Richard Branson on the podcast, I don't really know who, you know, how, there is not one thing that defines you. It is not just business mogul. It is not just entrepreneur. It is not just risk taker. What is it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, I suppose I'm a, a person who lives, lives life to its full. And, um, and I, think, um, I think all of us, if we get into a position where, you know, we can pick up the phone to anybody in the world and get through and get things done. Uh, anybody who gets into that position in life should live life to its full and should try to use that position to try to uh, get positive change in the world. And that's where I get a lot of my satisfaction from. Because with that power comes great responsibility. Do you think about that more and more as you, as you get older? Yeah, I think for, for, for anyone who gets, you know, is lucky enough actually to get into a position of power, um, uh, enormous responsibility comes with it, and uh, and if you waste that responsibility when, when you're finally on your deathbed, you're going to look back on your life and think, you know, what a waste! I could have, you know, I really could have made a difference, and I'm damned if that's going to happen to me. Let's go into your early life and then get into how you are trying to affect that change right now. But this all started in in journalism with a magazine called Student Magazine. You were, you know, very, very young. And you were an entrepreneur uh, before you probably even knew you were going to be what you are today. Do, do you think that entrepreneurs are born or made? I think entrepreneurs um, uh, 
can be can can become entrepreneurs. They don't have to have been born entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, what an entrepreneur is simply somebody who comes up with an idea um, to improve other people's lives. And um, my idea at fifteen, um, I, I mean, I had no. I never even heard of the word entrepreneur. Was you know there was a, a terrible war going on, the Vietnamese War. Um, most wars are terrible, but that was particularly terrible. Yep. Um, it was an unjust war, um, and like many young people, I wanted to get out there and campaign against it. And I thought if we could give young people a voice um, through a magazine, that would gi- that would be give them a, a, a better chance of stopping the war. And um, so the entrepreneur aspect only came about because I had no money, so I had to sell enough advertising to get the magazine out. I had to worry about the printing and the paper manufacturers, yeah. um, uh, distribution and so on. And, um, and so, you know, I wanted to be an editor. I, I sort of became an entrepreneur by default. Huh, an entrepreneur by default. Your independence, in large part, you talk about coming from your parents, from your mother specifically. There's an anecdote about driving to your grandmother's house and she drops you off in a field to walk miles, literally miles, to her house. Is this true? I mean, were you fiercely independent because of your parents? Age five, I had. Um, age five? <laughs> yes. So she, she, um, <laughs> she would have been arrested today. Child um, services she, would she, definitely yeah. be called. <laughs> but she, she, uh, she was a great believer in, you know, in us standing on our own feet. She wouldn't let us watch television. We had to be out there doing things. Uh, if it was pouring with rain, she'd put us on a bike and tell us to, you know, ride ten miles somewhere. I mean, you know, she. It was. It, and uh, anyway, we survived, and uh, it, it's, I don't think it did us any harm. And um, and yeah, we tried to bring up, or we we tried to bring up our kids in a not too dissimilar way, although my wife wasn't going to have most of she, 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 she protected them a bit more than my mother would have done. Well, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but I mean, that's hard to do with kids that, that are raised with great, uh, you know, access to anyone in the world, any amount of money that they may need, but you made sure that they knew the lessons of how, how you were raised. You, you say you, in the book, you talk about not knowing failure. Um, but at the same time, you didn't exactly have an easy childhood. I mean, you were dyslexic. You struggled very much in school. What do you mean you didn't know failure? Well, I can't remember exactly why, why, why I said that, but I, I was dyslexic and I certainly did, did, did know failure. And, um, and in fact, um, I, was, I was actually hopeless at school. I mean, I, I, mean like, I, I was hopeless at learning the conventional way that education teaches people, which is, sure. you know, pushing tons of facts down your throat and um, uh, and but dis- the word dyslexia didn't exist when I was young mm-hmm. so people just thought you know he's a little bit little bit stupid and so um, but you know what I've what I've learned is that dys- dyslexics I know when they concentrate on things they're good at they, they really excel excel at those things so many successful businessmen and women I mean some of the the most successful in the world are dyslexic yeah and and um, so I think the I think I see it as a, ble- a blessing, not a not a curse. When it comes to the Virgin brands, you have said, in some ways, the Virgin brand now is bigger than reality. What do you mean? Well, I think you know. I mean, Virgin, uh, Virgin is, um, I suppose, a way of life brand. So um, it's a global way of life brand. So, um, and there aren't many global way of life brands. I mean, most uh, big brands. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Google specialise in you know the, the internet. Um, uh, you know, Facebook, um, Airbnb. I mean, they they, they all they all specialise in one area. Um, so, but but we've we've become a sort of uh, you know we're into airlines and spaceships and uh, you know health clubs and hotels and, and, and soda. And, so and there was so Virgin so. Brides, which didn't exactly work out that <laughs> exactly. well. And we'll get to well, the, but, there weren't any. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is a we fundamental. Have, we should have we should have worked that one out before we launched Virgin Brides. But anyway, fundamental um, problem with that business model. No, but I th- I, so I think um, you know. But we're not um, you know. Although the, the brand is. Uh, large and strong, and and you know people have heard of it. Uh, you know we. Uh, um, I'll, I'll tell you what to illustrate a point. Larry Page, um, I went on stage at Google with him, and you also officiated his wedding. And I officiated his wedding. <laughs> and, and 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 Larry said to the audience, um, "This man's got three hundred companies, and I've only got one." Anyway, very quickly, I said, "I'll swap." Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 
so he's um, uh, so yeah. I mean, in financial terms, we are we are a minnow compared to some of these uh, you know the, these companies that have internet-based companies, but. Um, but we're doing okay. <laughs> Your headmaster at school famously now said to you, I predict you will either go on to prison or to be a billionaire. He was right on both fronts, <laughs> right? He was. I, I spent a, a night in Dover prison, and it, it's, it's, it's something that every teenager should do. Oh, really? I plan not to tell that to my children. <laughs> Just one night. Okay. Because it'll, make, it'll make absolutely certain that you'll never want to spend another night in prison. For what did you do? Oh, and we had a we had a um, a music company and some record shops, and somebody ordered some records from overseas, and um, uh, and we got a lorry and we, sh- we shipped them over to Belgium, um, and um, and then they turned us back because we didn't have the right paperwork, and and uh, but but because we'd you know had all the paperwork showing that we'd exported them by selling them in the UK we didn't have to pay tax so that was a great idea but it wasn't because other people were doing it and we got caught so you you all of these businesses were born out of frustration your own frustration with a sector so whether it be the airlines the record industry coca-cola you wanted to take on the biggest brand in the world that might be another story but you you consistently say you learn more about business partners on the tennis court than in the boardroom why that is where they show their true character? <laughs> um, yeah, I look. I, I I like to compete very strongly in the daytime, um, and then in the evening. Um, I think a, a, a decent uh, person that you're competing with, uh, you, you can you can then um, uh, uh, you know bring bring onto the tennis court or have a drink with them, and you can be friends in the evening. Um, as long as you don't get too friendly, so that you know. Uh, but um, because competition, in the end, is all, all, all that matters. Um, but with our own, as far as our own uh, employees are concerned, um, yeah, I think you, you, you learn a lot more socially about somebody than, than you do necessarily at work. Their guard is down. Yeah, I just you know, I just um, I, you know, I love. I, I mean, I don't really see a big difference between actually work and. Uh, work and play, work and play, and home life. Maybe but, not your. <laughs> you're lucky to have a job like that. You know, you know I'm lucky. I mean, I love yeah. people. I love to, you know. It, I mean, I would not think twice about going on holiday with people I work with and uh, and, and letting letting our hair down together. Tell the story of the start of uh, of Virgin Atlantic Airlines. I mean, <laughs> you say it's your favorite. It will always have a special place in your heart. You say it was a tough beginning from. The birds in the engine to fighting, you know, competing with BA, British Airlines. Tell us. Well, uh, you know, first of all, we, we just um, started with one secondhand 747. Um, uh, having, you know, been bumped off the plane, I rang up Boeing and said, do you have any secondhand 747s for sale? And, 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 and he asked, you know, what I did. And I said I was um, in the record business. I had the Sex Pistols, the Rolling Stones. Um, Janet Jackson, and um, anyway, in the end, he agreed uh, to come and see me, and we we we, we got one secondhand seven four seven from them. Um, on the very first test flight, with a civil aviation inspector sitting next to me, um, a, f- a flock of birds went into one of the engines, and this enormous fl- pl- plume of uh, flame came right past the window, and I wasn't I wasn't sure whether to be yeah more worried about crashing or more worried about um, losing our license, but the CA inspector just put his arm around me and said, "You know, don't worry, Richard. Neither happened. Don't worry, Richard. These things happen." And um, uh, and and we managed later that day to get a new engine, and and um, you know, and we were up, up and away the next day, and and um, and we were taking on TWA with 300 planes, Pan Am with 300 planes, F Florida with 200 planes, People Express with 200 planes, uh, and so on, um, and. Uh, and somehow, we, 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 you know, because our, our, our product was a lot better, um, they all disappeared mm. and, and went bankrupt. And Virgin Atlantic grew and grew and grew. Um, British Airways tried to launch a dirty tricks campaign to snuffle, snuff us out. Mm-hmm. Um, they, in fact, said, the head of BA at the time said, you're too old to rock, too young to fly. Well, we had to prove him wrong. <laughs> and he also added, you know, what on earth is somebody from the entertainment business uh, uh, thinking that they could run an airline? And I think 
that actually was exactly the, the trick that he missed. And that is that people want to be entertained if they're eight hours on a plane. They, they don't want to just be shoved in a, you know, a, tin, a tin can and flown from A to B. And I think it was that very you know, essence of our entertainment skills that made, made Virgin Atlantic successful. Tell me about the BA Christmas bonus. Yeah, so uh, um, the, we, won, we, won, we took BA to court. I mean, they, they, they were doing really bad things. And, um, and, uh, and we, ex we, we discovered it and we took them to court and we won uh, the biggest libel damages in history. Um, it happened to be Christmas time. And so we distributed, the, distributed them equally to all our staff. And it became known as the British Airways Christmas Bonus. And, and, and your staff hoped it happened every year. And, and, and they would love it if it happened again. But I'm, I was quite glad that it was something of the past now. So as you grow the Virgin brand, and this is the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, Virgin Mobile, big part of that. And your critics lash out at you and they say, come on, Richard Branson, you're spreading yourself, your brand way too thin. Did you have any concerns they may be right? Um, not really. I think, um, you know, the, 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 if you go to uh, business college, you're told, you know, stick with your onions and, and mm. don't, 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 you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're in the airline business, you stick with the airline business. If you're in the uh, train business, you stick in the train business. Good thing um, you didn't go to business school. Uh, <laughs> good thing I didn't go to business yeah. school. And, and I think it would have been dull. I mean, I just love learning about new things. And I, I love seeing, you know, situations where I feel we can jump in and do something better. Mm. And, you know, the mobile phone business, uh, you know, people were being taken for a ride. They were being overcharged. And I think I um, still am. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> you, you have to switch to Virgin <laughs> for, Mobile. For the record. Um, so we did a we, we launched Virgin Mobile and the slogan was what you see is what you get. Um, and of course, Richard is always wheeled out to do something foolish when we launch a new K business. This one had to do with the supermodel with Kate Moss. I know that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So, I mean, Kate. Uh, Kate happened to be, we, have, we happened to have a model agency and Kate was our first signing to a model agency when she was 15. And, um, uh, and you know, so it was, it was great to have her on our, on our model agency and she's been fantastically fantastic over the years. But you threw her, you, you flipped her at the launch over your shoulder. You write about that. Oh, it didn't on, go... On, 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 the wing, on the wing of a plane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a wing and a prayer, actually, because you never know whether... You, there was, I think I slightly slipped, but, um, uh, but anyway, all, all, all was well. <laughs> and, um, you know, Kate, Kate's up for a good laugh. Why take on Coca-Cola? I mean, that at the time, if not still today, the most recognizable brand in the world. Somebody came to me one day and said, look, uh, I've, I've uh, created a, a cola that tastes better than Coke and better than Pepsi. So, um, and so I said, well, let's go down to my kid's school and we'll do a tasting. And, uh, and nine out of 10 of the kids chose, you know, this, this, uh, this uh, un unknown brand of cola is the one that they like the best. So I thought, screw it, let's do it. Let's take on Coca-Cola. You let and, some kids and, decide. Uh, let you let kids some decide. kids decide. Exactly. And um, so, um, and for a year or two, Virgin Cola was outselling Coke and Pepsi in every single retailer that we had it stocked in. And, and of course, you know, the, the British press got excited. Uh, you know, the Sun's headline was, you know, is now Virgin Cola. I don't know. They, so the, the, the idea of a small upstart taking on Coke. Um, I then, I think, made the mistake of arriving in Times Square in a Sherman tank and... Um, uh, and sort of uh, we pyrotechnic up the Coca-Cola sign and then we turned the turret on it. It looked like it blew up and Coke weren't amused. So uh, the next day they fill up a plane with squat teams, a DC-10 and money. And it, this plane arrives in the UK and hey presto, Virgin Cola just disappears from all the shells. Um, and they, kneeca they kneecapped us very, very efficiently. Let's talk about Virgin Galactic. It's probably the business of yours that I know the best, that I've covered the most. I've been to Mojave with you in California, seeing the progress that has been made. This dream to take civilians to, to space, including yourself, your family, you take inspiration away, you write, from, uh, from the support from President Kennedy and the support of, of the U.S. government for the Apollo program. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, their, uh, Kennedy's determination to get man on the moon was, I thought, admirable. And, um, and 
you know, it uplifted a, uplifted a whole nation, it uplifted the whole world. And I remember watching the, the moon landing on a little black and white TV set um, at home in, in England. And, uh, and I was convinced that one day I would go to space, but um, governments are not that interested in you or me going to space. So, um, so the last 10 years, we've been working really hard in developing a space line. And, um, and I write quite a lot about it in the book because yeah. it's got its, you know, it's, it, it has its ups and it has its downs. Um, and, you know, we obviously had to deal with the crash and, and, um, and you know, devote a chapter or two to, uh, to, to how, you know, how, how I dealt with it, how, how the wonderful six, seven hundred engineers dealt with it and so on. But I remember, Richard, speaking to you days after that crash. And, you know, one of the things we spoke about is, Look at civilian aviation when it began, right? The, 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 the safety rate was not what it is now. Um, this, is, this is a new frontier. For you, is this the most personal mission yet where you really feel like you are tied to the success of this? Yes, I think, um, yeah, I suppose I think that you know, almost every single Virgin company is culminating in, in Virgin in Galactic. And, um, uh, and uh, and you know it will be um, it'll hopefully it'll be the you know the one virgin company that I think everybody who works for Virgin will be most proud of. How far away are you at this point <laughs> as we sit here on uh, October the seventeenth two thousand seventeen? What do you think? Um, I think sixteen weeks from now uh, we should be in space um, and uh, and maybe six months from now, I should be in space. This is before my, my unborn son is going to be born. <laughs> this is really right, there's soon. A, there, there's a challenge. <laughs> um, and, um, and then, you know, by the end of next year, wow. hopefully we'll, we'll have our license to start taking people up. Let's talk about um, your mindset in the hours after the crash. You were away. You get a, a memo saying something terrible has happened. You write back, I will be right there. In the, in the immediacy, in the 12 hours after, you write about not knowing uh, if it was worth continuing the program. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I think if there's an incident like that, um, the owner of the company has just to you know, get, get wherever it is, be with, it, be with their people. And um, so, um, so you know, being in the Mojave with, with, with the whole team who had actually yeah. wit witnessed the accident was important. Um, and then I think we were lucky that we knew very quickly um, uh, through cameras on board that the, the pilot had made an error. And so we knew that, I knew that I could address all the engineers and tell them, you know, the craft was fine, the spaceship, the, the, the mothership was fine, it wasn't their fault. Um, and we had, you know, the biggest hug in history, um, you know, 700 of us uh, hugged. Um, you know, some, some people are religious, some people are not religious. I think a hug is, is, a, is a good way of dealing with these things. Um, and a few tears, and then the next day, um, having talked to a lot of our astronauts and seen that they would you know, stick with it, we decided we should, we should carry on. I remember vividly that day I was in Chicago for a wedding, my sister-in-law's wedding. She probably doesn't want to know I was on the phone half the time dealing, <laughs> you know, covering this. But, um, but I remember reaching out to your team in the aftermath and saying, I'd like to talk to Richard about this. Will he come on with me, you know, Monday morning? And to my surprise, as someone who interviews a lot of CEOs, they said yes. And it wasn't just me. I mean, you, you talked to a number of press outlets. You did a number of interviews. And that will always uh, sit with me because most executives won't do that. They certainly don't want to face the press in the immediacy of it. Why did you approach it so differently? I, th I think it's incredibly important to be, um, yeah, to be, op to be open um, and, and to... Um, to carry the you know carry the public with you, mm -hmm. um, and you know you've always treated us fairly. I mean, I, I write in the book about um, you know uh, anyway. Some, there's the, there's an element of the sort of the British press that is always looking for the sort of uh, the, the negatives in, in 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 everything, and or in, and if they can't find a negative, they make up a negative. Um, um, but um, uh, but I think it, I, I, I you know I think it I, you owe it uh, you, you you know you 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 must. You know the public want to know what's going on, and there's no point in um, uh, in hiding hiding away. If you hide away, then then, then people are going to start making sure. up stories. You, it's much better to be out there and confront them. What is the future, Richard, that you see for our children 
of uh, commercial space travel? I mean, where will this take us? I think your little boy <laughs> inside there um, will go to space one day. Um, Despite mother being uh, worried? <laughs> okay. No, no, but, but by, the time that it, by the time your lad is um, yeah. of an age, um, there will have been thousands of people, I think, who will have become astronauts. Um, and um, hopefully we'll be able to make, make it safer and safer and safer. Hopefully we'll be able to make it more and more affordable for people to do. Um, hopefully we'll be able to you know, turn our spaceships into uh, planes that you know, travel around the world much quicker. Um, you know, we've, we've also got a, a, um, a company called Virgin Orbit um, that, um, that will be putting satellites into space and connecting people in remote parts of the world. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's a lot of exciting challenges ahead. In the past, especially recent years, and certainly the last 10, 15 years, your focus has very much been, of course, on your businesses, but also on global change, right? Um, climate change, for example. Uh, you write extensively about that, Al Gore coming to you. And you write that as a man who was running an airline, you know, the setting up, the, you know, your third airline at the time, and Al Gore comes to talk to you about climate change, you were very surprised and you felt conflicted. Here I am running a business, it's a you know, big emitter, and, and this man is coming to talk to me before, I think, was this, when was this, after he was vice president? Yeah, after, yeah. after he was vice president, but before the Inconvenient Truth had been launched. He, he changed your your mindset completely. I mean, he had a profound effect on you. Yeah, I mean, he basically gave me the Inconvenient Truth lecture, you know, one-to-one, -one, and, um, uh, and it shook me. And, uh, and after he left, I also talked to a number of other scientists, James Lovelock and others. And, um, uh, and, uh, and you know, I felt you, 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 we can't take a risk with this world that we live in and that, we, that we've got to do something about it. So, um, so we pledged to put the profits from our dirty businesses, our airline business, and invest them in clean, clean energy products. All of them? All, all, all of them for, for a certain number of years. And, um, and then, uh, and now, you know, we're obviously, you know, continue, continuing to do so. And we've invested in, um, you know, Bill Gates Breakthrough Energy Coalition and a company, a new fund called the Rise Fund. And, um, and, um, and you know, we set up organizations like the Carbon War Room and the B Team and, you know, the Elders and other, other organizations um, uh, in part to speak out on these issues. This is very relevant right now, given the... Uh the discussion around climate change in the United States right now. The EPA, as I'm sure you know, just in the past week released its four-year strategic plan. And under the Obama administration, at the top of that plan, sort of point number one, were the words climate change. And in this plan, the words climate change do not appear anywhere. Now, it talks about keeping air clean and water clean, et cetera. But what is your response to that as someone who's been so outspoken on climate change? It's just... Uh um, too sad for words. Um, I mean, it, when, when, the, when the world had a problem with the ozone layer, um, with the hole getting bigger and bigger because of CFC gases, the world met in Canada and the world came together and CFC gases were banned and th that, that hole has got smaller and smaller, so less and less people are dying from cancer. Um, the world came together in Paris. I was there um, and 192 nations signed up to the agreement. Um, you know, China, India, everybody signed up. Um, and it, it was the most joyous moment because, you know, our, our, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren in, in 2050, we were going to move to a world which was clean energy, um, uh, you know, powered by the, the sun, powered by the wind, um, no, 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 more, no more dirty energy. And it would have been, you know, cheaper for everybody, um, to, you know, to use. Um, much more consistent, low, low prices, uh, and you know we, 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 we wouldn't have rising sea levels and and um, and you know fiercer and fiercer hurricanes and um, and all 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 the misery that's going to go with it. So uh, to see this current administration backtracking from that, uh, you know, I think make a lot of us want to cry. Talk about Nelson Mandela someone who had a profound impact on this world, on so many of us, on you. I mean, you were fortunate enough to know him very closely, many interactions with him. You recount uh, when he called you, you were in the bathtub. Yeah, the f um, 
they, they, he rang me up. I was in the bathtub and, um, he, and um, he said, Richard, um, I want you to get on the next plane to South Africa. We have a chain of health clubs that's um, about to go bust and it, it'll be 6,000 people will be out on the streets and I want you to come and save them. And, um, you know, which I did. And, and, um, uh, and, and that uh, was the beginning of quite a relationship. And that was the beginning of a, of a, of a long relationship. Um, I think that um, before the, uh, before the um, uh, first Iraq war, um, there, were, there were hostages in, um, uh, in Iraq. And I, I knew King Hussein of Jordan and asked him if he could write a letter to Saddam Hussein and to say, I would like to come and get any of those hostages out who were ill or old or, or young. Um, and um, that I'd bring medical supplies in return. Anyway, the next day, Saddam Hussein came back and said, yes, come. So, um, so we flew in with a, with, with a 747 into Baghdad. Um, there was no planes at the airport because you know, there was a whole year that not one plane had landed there or taken off from there. Um, Saddam Hussein came to the airport and handed over the hostages. We handed over the medical supplies. Um, and, uh, and, and a little while later, George Bush Jr. takes over and decides to invade Iraq. And, uh, and I was convinced it was the, the bad, a really bad decision. Um, and, uh, and in order to try to avert the war, uh, um, asked Nelson Mandela if he would go and See Saddam Hussein. He, he uh, agreed. I mean, ultimately, it didn't. It didn't. Yeah, he come he, to fruition, he agreed but. to go, and and uh, he wanted Kofi Annan to go with him. Kofi Annan agreed to go, and then mm -hmm. the day it, it was due to happen, the bombing started. Um, but that gave us the idea that um, you know maybe we should get a group of wonderful wise men and women together, headed, headed up by Nelson Mandela and Gresham, Michelle, his wife. And this is this is what has become the elders. Yeah. This is after he uh, was no longer uh, president. He was uh, he retired. Exactly. And he had this sort of unwritten rule: "Don't call me; I will call you." But you broke that rule, <laughs> and you reached out to him anyways, mm -hmm. asking him, uh, writing him a letter, telling him your idea about the elders. Uh, he he writes you back right away, and he says, "Great idea." What was the dream for the elders? What has it become? The dream was um, to have a, um, a group of maybe the 12 most respected men and women in the world um, who were in maybe the last 15 years of their lives, who had high moral authority, um, who were not involved in party politics, um, to be able to go into conflict regions, try to resolve conflicts, to be able to um, you know, go to Paris and try to push things through like the Paris talks. Uh, to, you know, to set up organizations, uh, which maybe you know, they set up an organization called Girls Not Brides, which um, is trying to persuade countries to stop, um, you know, 12 year olds or 10 year olds being being married off. Um, and uh, yeah, to be a moral, a moral force in the world. Bill Gates and Melinda Gates were a big driver of uh, sort of your mindset heading into this. And, and you write about spending time with them, a weekend with them. And, and at this point, Bill Gates was spending a lot more time on his charitable work than on Microsoft at that point. And you, you two spoke about that. And he said to you, it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, it is just the right thing to do. I think, um, you know, I think what. Uh, what I'd love to see, and, w and through something called the B team that we set up, we're trying to you know, m move it this way, um, uh, is in, in the past, um, business leaders have felt that their job is you know, to worry about the next quarter's earnings, um, uh, to worry about the shareholders, um, and then to leave governments and social sectors to worry about um, the problems of the world. Uh, if we can actually now bring more and more and more entrepreneurs and business leaders into the fold mm -hmm. and have more and more business leaders speaking out on issues um, and actually tackling issues, um, I think we can get on top of the problems of the world much quicker. You do dedicate an entire chapter in the book to, uh, to President Trump and you talk about an invite long before he was running for office uh, for lunch at Trump Tower. So you go, you were intrigued, what happens? I was taken, taken aback because, um, you know, we didn't know each other. And he just spent pretty well the whole lunch talking about his latest bankruptcy and um, how he'd rung um, five people to get some help, um, how they said no, uh, they wouldn't give him any money. And 
how it, how it was going to be his life mission to uh, destroy these five people. And, um, and I, I said to him, look, you know, you're going to eat yourself up. You're going to damage them. Um, you're not, it's not going to achieve anything. They haven't done anything overtly wrong against you. Um, there should be something more worthwhile for you to spend your time doing. That was maybe the only part of that that I regretted. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, uh, and I remember going down the lift afterwards thinking, uh, you know, I, I might start a film company and do a film about this sort of megalomania uh, entrepreneur who's out to destroy these people and how he, how he sets about destroying them. Um, contrast that with, you know, a lunch with... Um, uh, you know, with President Obama, where you, where you talk about, you, you talk about, uh, you know, climate change, the death penalty, uh, gun control, um, uh, Iraq, Iran, uh, you know, nuclear proliferation, et cetera, et cetera. But you I mean, did try to talk about some of these passion points that you have, criminal justice reform, climate change. Would you go, would you go now to the White House and make the case? Um, my, my whole life has been brought up on, uh, you know, not to have any enemies to, you know, if you fall out with somebody, you, you befriend them again um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and look for the best in everybody. Mm. Um, uh, I'm just not sure that, uh, that um, you know, that a, that, that a conversation with Trump would be, would be would be helpful. I mean, you know, if he, if, if, if he was, if he, if I felt he was genuine and he genuinely wanted to sit down and talk about some of these issues, of course I'd say yes. Um, but I would have to be sure that it's, it was a genuine, a genuine approach. Let's end on your family because in the end, that's the most important thing, right? You talk about your father in, in the book and the, you know, profound impact he had on you. And you, you go through these moments that really come to life on, on the page you know, the the balloon ride, the, the time, you know, those five days you guys spent together, um, the 93rd birthday, was it, that you went to? The fire on, on Necker Island, all of this. When you when you think about your father and the impact on on you, what was it? Uh, he was, um, yeah, he'd, he'd lived an incredible life. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, he'd fought in the Second World War. He was a great, a great storyteller, uh, being in North Africa, um, Landed at Salerno in in Italy, uh, conquered a lot of Italian girls, I'm sure, in, in, in Italy from what from what from what he told me. And um, uh, I, I remember going uh, d doing a um, a trip with him uh, when he was about 87 through Africa, and um, it was pissing with rain. We were sleeping in the same tent together, uh, and. Um, and he woke up one morning with the biggest grin on his face, and and um, I said. Um, Dad, did you have a did you have a good dream? And he said yes. I said, uh, did it involve a woman? He said yes. I said, um, uh, did you misbehave with her? He said no. He said, but she misbehaved with me outrageously. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, he had a wicked sense of humour, as I said. <laughs> and, and, even, and, and at eighty-seven, it was good. It was good that he that, that his brain was still 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 going strong. <laughs> But you as a father, you talk a lot about your kids in this book, Holly, Sam, your, your wife as well. Um, but I, I kept thinking, uh, many times I talk with Richard, he's all over the world. And maybe they're with you and I don't know it, but I, I have to imagine that this has been a very difficult sort of balance to reach, if I can even use that word, or juggle. Being a father, being there, being present, and also running all these companies, being all over the world. What was the answer for you? To work from home. I mean, I, 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 um, I'm a great believer in people working from home. I, I encourage our staff, if they want to work from home, to be able to work from home. Real, any, um, any Virgin staff that can? Yeah, I mean, obviously. They pilot, don't have to be uh, flying an airline. Yeah, they're flying, <laughs> flying planes now. But, but as, mu as much as possible, I mm. think that, um, you know, having as much flexibility in your life as possible. And so I, I, lived, I lived on a houseboat when my kids were young. Um, I, you know, I was w building Virgin. Uh, they were crawling around. I might change a nappy. I might be on the phone. Um, you know, so so uh, I suspect I've seen more of my more of my kids and family than almost any any father. And um, because you were not confined by the the confines, if you will, of traditional business. Yeah. And I would pick them up and I'd take them. You know, they've traveled a lot with me. Mm -hmm. And and um, uh, so you know, we're, we're we've been a very lucky family. I mean, I've been with Joan for. 
40 years and it, we've had a wonderful relationship and, 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 incredible, and, and you know, my kids are very happily married and we've got four delightful grand, grandkids. And, um, so, and, you know, the, and as you said, the most important thing in, in the end in life is, is, your, is your family and friends. Although I should note, Joan did say to you, does say to you frequently when you take on these death-defying feats, if you die, it's your fault and I won't be coming to your funeral. She's not only says she won't be coming to the funeral, but she makes me sign a bit of paper every time saying the island is hers if I, <laughs> if I don't come back. <laughs> she's no fool. She's, she's Glaswegian. How, <laughs> how do you, on a, on a serious note, though, I mean, I, I think about assignments differently as a journalist now being a mom. I do. Um, if, 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 I, if, I, if I hadn't had such a wonderful mum, mum I think I would, I would have, um, I mean, in Joan, um, I'm, I might not have stuck my neck out quite as much as I have over my lifetime. But you knew they had her. I knew they had her. And obviously, you never think you're not going to come home. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, but now our kids are doing, doing these these uh, extreme adventures themselves. And the only condition is that I have to come along with them. And um, <laughs> so poor Joan now has to watch all, all three of us heading off on They're, big adventures. Are the, the plan is still for them to go to space with you, no? They, they, they still plan to go to space. Whether, whether they've just had, um, yeah, they've got, they've, the, Kids. They've got yeah, four two-year-olds. Yeah. So, um, so uh, they may not come on the very first flight with me, but they definitely will be coming very soon. I think there's an important lesson here for fathers. One, uh, one story in the book is you talk about, I think, being on a panel in front of thousands of people. And Holly called you from university with some test scores, really important. In the middle of it, in front of all these people, you answer the phone. Why? Because she's your daughter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 um, I, I would... You, you, I, I knew how excited she would be with her results, and so I was definitely going to take the phone call. But I, she also managed to have 10,000 people clap her as well. So, <laughs> that's that's so encouragement. We, so we, uh, although, of course, that went, Dad, what have you done? Why you can't do this to me? <laughs> you end the book near the end with letters that you wrote to your wife and to your children before one of these sort of death-defying missions. And in it to your children, you, you write them a lot of advice, some of which is, Prove what you're capable of. Be great listeners. There's a lot to learn. Roll up your sleeves. Have fun. Try everything. What have you hoped for your children? Yeah, to have, uh, yeah, to, to to follow their dreams. I think is is the best bit of advice. Just um, not not to, you know, to, to to do what they enjoy in life. To to um, uh, uh, and to love unreservedly. I think. Um, you know, as I said, we, you know, we're, 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 we're such a close-knit family, and I think, um, uh, and they've been very fortunate, both of them, to find, one, you know, wonderful partners, and, um, and, um, and they are following their dreams, and they both, you know, they've both set out, and they've done their own thing. My daughter became a doctor, and my son makes wonderful sort of films on subjects that I feel very strongly mm -hmm. about, and he feels very strongly about, like, you know, breaking the taboo—a film about you know the war on drugs and why why, why it um, why it should be stopped—and uh, you know, film about the death penalty and you know wh why it should be abolished on a global basis and and so on. How have you raised them, though, um, not being spoiled, stuck-up <laughs> brats? I mean it. I mean, uh, here I, they are having all the money in the world, all the opportunity. They can meet you know former presidents and all of this, and you. Somehow, from all I've read and heard, you've managed to raise some pretty normal kids. Again, I think it comes back to love. I think um, if you, you know, you know, time, 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 love to be, you know, complete open openness in in um, just talking about everything and anything, and 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 not and not spoiling them in in the sense, you know, not spoiling their fun in life. If you give somebody, if you give a kid, um, you know, ten presents. You, you you watch a kid with ten presents. They, yeah. you know, they, they don't appreciate any one of them. They'll open no. they'll open all ten. They'll throw them away, and then they they've got nothing. I mean, if you give them one present, they'll they'll love it. They'll treasure it. <laughs> you know, so it's just learning 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 that early on. You say it, it will be interesting to see what Virgin is like thirty years after I'm gone. Your worry that it may be, in your words, too professional. Well, I think. I, you know, somebody once called Virgin a um, unprofessional professional organization, and, and and the unprofessional part of that statement is is um, uh, is very important. I think um, you you know you you, you we, we need to be, you know, we need to be professional in that we've got you know we've had thirty five years of flying people all over the world and, and having a great safety record, uh, but equally, 
you need that. You need the cabin crew and people to be able to smile, to laugh, to joke with the passengers, and uh, and be very virgin in the in their approach. And 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 it's getting that balance. And we just got to keep keep that balance. And um, and um, but I have a feeling. I think Holly and Sam maybe one day will, uh, you know, will take help, the reins. Help, yeah, help take the reins and help give it, a, give, give it, you know, give it a couple of great figureheads to be able mm. to keep that going. Not a lot of people have spent time, not a lot of people that I know have spent time with President Obama and the former First Lady since they left office. You spent 10 days with them on Necker Island. It's a chapter in the book. And the chapter, you know, I think says free or set free. And they, they came and you say that they said to you, we are free. What was that, what was that experience like? Oh, it was it was tremendous. Um, yeah, Michelle, when she arrived on the island, just said, "We're free," you know, just in the way she would she would do. She and she meant it. You know, she just, you know, it was. They, they've had eight eight years of fascinating years, which I'm sure they wouldn't have changed for the world. Um, but you know, the, but but anyway, they they now they now had the chance to let their hair down and. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, and we didn't spend you know all that time with them. We obviously gave them a lot, a lot of space. Um, I mean, I spent time with Barack um, out. Um, he in beat a, you in a kite, fun, kite yeah, sailing, kite surfing competition together, uh, which he won. And um, uh, and we had we you know we had some some dinners and and, and lunches together. Um, but um, uh, but you know what what I found most remarkable about them was the fact that. Uh, by the time they left, they knew, you know, every single person's name. I mean, from the cleaning lady um, right through to the person sort of cleaning the kitchens, the lot. You know, um, you know, they insisted on having a, you know, a, a big party for all the staff on the on on the last day. Um, I also spotted you know, the two of them seeing, you know, two people looking a bit left out. Two of the staff looking a bit left out, uh, you know, during the party and going over and grabbing them and. Dancing with them, and um, and you know they're, they're, they are genuinely exceptional people. I mean, they're just such such lovely people, and um, and um, uh, and yeah, such yeah, really interesting. Yeah, really, really, really interesting people. And it was a privilege to spend time with them. Any idea what they'll do next? Oh, I think um, you know. The, the, I think you know. I think then they're thinking they're going to have a year. Of um, you know a year to uh, um, sleep, sleep, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, but they've got. I mean, writing, you know, to writing writing memoirs is going to be obviously a, a, a big a, a big part. But but then you know he wants they want to create um, a a um, a wonderful um, center um, in Chicago, um, which is not just a, a museum of. The history of the Obamas in the White House, but it's going to, it will be a happening live, living um, center that um, uh, that, that c where lots of wonderful good things can come out of c come out of it, um, and um, uh, and I think that uh, you know they're young they're young and and I'm sure they'll be be doing as much you know as as much in the next sort of 30, 40 years of their lives as they did when when they were. When they when they were president, I mean President Carter is somebody. Yeah, I've got a, to, a member of the elders. I yeah, should have I've noted. got to know well, and you know he's done extraordinary things since he stepped down from being president, sure. and 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 I'm absolutely certain that they won't waste their lives. As we wrap up, before we go, a warning for everyone listening and watching: a fraud warning from you, Sir Richard Branson. What is it? Well, I mean, we had a I uh, had an, a, an extraordinary thing happen to me. Um, uh, um, you know, a few a few weeks ago, I get a um, a message from um, the um, Minister of Defence in Britain asking if I would ring him, and and um, I rang him, and um, and he said that a, a senior British diplomat had been kidnapped, and um, and that they had to get this man back because uh, he had some very sensitive information, uh, but the British government don't normally pay ransom money, and. Uh, so they'd come to me uh, and one or two other businessmen to see whether we could all um, pay some ransom money. And um, and interestingly, that week uh, there'd been a couple of young young people who you know, around Necker Island who'd been conned out of money uh, through scams. So I said, well, look, you know, I, I, of course, you know, I'd like to try to help, but I, I need to check that this is for, for real. 
and um, and he said, well, you know, send somebody over to my office in in Whitehall, and um, and we'll we'll give a code name, and you'll be able to see that it's real. Um, and um, and then I rang Downing Street, and I got put through to his sec to the secretary, and and she said she knew nothing about it. So it was ob obviously was a scam. And then I think almost definitely the same man uh, when I was on the island in the in the hurricane, um, out of out of touch because of communications, rang a a very well-known businessman in, in, in America and said that um, Richard needed to talk to him urgently and um, that he had bad communications on the island. Uh, and then Richard uh, rings him and says, uh, I can't get ho hold of the UK, so I just, you know, I'm stuck, I can't get any money out, but I need a couple of million dollars to help help the people in the, in, in the BVI. Um, and the guy sent the two million dollars oh, and thinking it, was you. Uh, thinking it was me and um, and obviously really pissed off with himself and angry with himself um, but I think the reason I tell the story is a to warn people about big scams like yeah. that but also just to urge the police and the press to be really vigilant about the amount of you know thousands and thousands of people who are being scammed every day you know a few hundred dollars here a few thousand dollars there people who can Ill, Ill afford it and um, it, 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 it's you know it's so much easier than breaking into banks um, and it's so, you know and, millions and, and, of dollars and, and, and it's it's, it's, a, it's very damaging and I should note all that you have done and continue to press for for the Virgin Islands uh, and all of the, the the territories destroyed in these these hurricanes your your ask of people as now the many cameras are gone it's not in the headlines what should people know um, well, we're, we're, we're working with the World Bank and, um, and the, uh, sorry, the UNDP uh, Bank um, to try to get, um, you know, try to get loans forgiven, try to get um, uh, the, you know, try, try, try to get sort of quite large sums of money to try to sort of get these countries back on their feet again. Um, but, um, you know, obviously, look, if, if there's so many asks going on in the world with so many causes. If, yeah. if, if people can help, um, you, know, um, you know, help in specific situations, that's wonderful. We have a, we have a foundation called Unite BVI, uh, where all the money goes directly to, you know, trying to get schools rebuilt and so on. But there's a lot of causes at the moment. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll you know, we'll, our, our team will do, well, are doing their best and we'll do, do our Do what best. you can to everyone. Yeah. Do what you can. Do yeah. something. Great. Richard Branson, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Carlo CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.